informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. Thank you for making us a part of your day. And what a day it is. Early this morning, we had the Bureau of Labor Statistics release their inflation update. And in the month of December, U.S. inflation hit 7%, a 39-year high looking at inflation right now. We'll get into that number in a little more detail with Arlen Suderman in the third segment of the show. We'll talk to Ed Valley from Empire Weather in segment two about what's happening down there in South America. That weather continues to move these markets. Ed will give us an update about what he's watching here in the week ahead. And we're gonna close the show talking fertilizer. Jackie Holland of Farm Futures is going to be on. Give us an update on how that fertilizer market has reacted as 2022 has gotten underway. All in all, it seems like what we're going to be talking about today are higher prices. And we're gonna start talking higher prices right off the jump here with Mark Stock. He's the CEO of Big Iron Auctions. And Mark, there have been some some eye-popping sales here over the past two months. Are there any figures or or uh, sale numbers that jump out at you? There are a lot of sale numbers that jump out us uh, at us. And I tell you what, there was a 2019 Case IH 7250 combine that sold in December. It sold for $320,250, and that was a new auction record. It beat the old record price by $15,000 despite this combine having double the separator hours on the machine. We also sold the 2013 New Holland T8390 mechanical front tractor. It brought $161,000, which was $46,000 over any comparable on record by any auction company. So uh, that was a whopping record. There was a 2008 Peterbilt 384 semi-truck. This was a day cab. Uh, that sold for $70,000. It was a 2008 now, and that was $40,000 higher than any other previous make and model that was very similar. We also sold a 2020 Tempe Super Hopper 50-foot uh, grain trailer uh, that sold for $58,000, which was $16,000 more uh, than anything sold of record. And I've got a whole list of these, Mike, uh, that were all established in November and December. And what's real important now is we've already had a couple auctions here in 2022, and the prices are still just as strong as they were as we rounded out 2021. Interesting, Mark. I mean, that was my next question. Obviously, we get farmers excited about writing some checks as the year end comes into view. But once the new year starts, I was expecting a little bit of a pullback, but you're not seeing that, huh? Well, a lot of farmers, they defer their grain sales and their livestock sales into the next year for tax purposes. And once the checks clear the bank, they go right after it again, looking for equipment that they can use in their operation. And uh, we've heard it for the last 12 months now due to supply issues. Uh, it's hard to find that good quality, low houred or uh, well cared for used equipment uh, for sale uh, other than a retirement auction. And when these items come up for sale, people fight for it because they need to get their crops in the ground this spring. And we're still seeing good high commodity prices as of today. So it all makes logical sense uh, for them to be adding this equipment into their operation, regardless of the, what the price is. It does. But when I hear figures like this $16,000 over the record on a day cab pickup on a super hopper trailer, Mark, I've got to wonder, are we just seeing fewer auctions? Is that the issue we're dealing with? Or just fewer people retiring farmers are choosing to hang on to their equipment longer? Or are we starting to see more come to market now that these prices are kind of sticking in people's heads? Well, it's kind of a mixture of everything, Mike. Uh, uh, if somebody hasn't used machinery in the last couple of years and they have already retired and rented out their ground, you could not ask for a better opportunity uh, than to sell that equipment right now. In many cases, we're seeing the item sell for more money than what it was purchased for new. In fact, uh, there was one of these seed tenders uh, that we sold on a sale in uh, Riverton, Illinois, just uh, the middle of December. The family bought it brand new for $25,000, and it sells for $32,000 uh, when they had their retirement sale. So they used it for all those years, and it put money in their pocket uh, when they got done selling it. And we're seeing several other examples of that as well. So 
for those folks out there that haven't uh, used something in your shed for a couple of years, and I know they always say, well, geez, I don't, I don't want to sell it because it's paid for. Well, not only will it, uh, you more than likely get your money back, you're going to get an increased money back, and then you can use that money to buy something that you could use, even if you buy yourself a new pickup truck with the profits uh, uh, on selling something that's back in the shed. So we, we are seeing our, our reps having those conversations with uh, retired folks, uh, who have rented out the ground but still have their machinery on almost a day-to-day basis right now. And as the farm show season kicks up and people come out, uh, we're busy answering those types of questions. Mark, I know you also keep a very close eye on the farm real estate market as well. What have you been seeing, particularly across the the central U.S. here in farm real estate? Uh, it's up a good, strong 30% in most cases, some cases even a little more. In fact, uh, yesterday, we sold some property on our online auction platform in Merrick County, Nebraska. This would be real close to Grand Island, but in 80 acres with a, a older pivot on it that windshield wiped uh, sells for $9,400. And uh, we believe that the family that uh, sold it, uh, bought it just recently here about four years ago for $5,500 an acre. So that's a pretty good increase over a four-year oper- uh, ownership uh, run and we're seeing that in Missouri. We had some land selling yesterday in Missouri, and some record prices were established on some uh, dry cropland that was sold in that part of the country. So there's strong demand. What was interesting on in the property in Merritt County, there was four different bidders still bidding on that property when it hit nine thousand dollars, and it ends up selling for nine thousand four hundred dollars. So. Uh, if you've got land that you no longer want to use, or maybe you're in the middle of a family uh, with a trust and everybody wants to kind of separate as they get a little older, now might be a great time to get that property put on the market and sold. In terms of land auctions coming up, Mark, how do we look? Are we seeing more ground brought to market here in this hot environment? Uh, It's kind of hard to find it. Uh, So that's why we have all these people coming to the auctions when there's something that comes up for sale. The majority of the land, Mike, is still being held in uh, real strong family ownership. And uh, the, the people that are selling are usually those that have passed away uh, and or it's been put into a trust. And now the people that are the beneficiaries of the trust are getting older in years. And instead of having the three or four brothers and sisters that own it, you know, they have their children being owners with their uh, uh, brothers and sisters' children. So now they got cousins owning property and it kind of gets a little bit, you know, kind of, it, there's too many owners in the, in the hands. So then they just make the decision to sell. And uh, we're seeing a lot of that take place right now. We do have uh, a lot of people looking, more people looking right now to buy land than there are sellers. That's the 30% run up in prices that we're seeing. That is incredible. It's been nuts to watch this farmland market and to see the used equipment market behaving just as crazy as well. Mark Stock, thanks for jumping on and giving us an update today. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much. And folks, stick around when we return. Ed Valley of Empire Weather will join us. Look close at what's happening in South America. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom, covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Today, more than 6 million Americans are living with Alzheimer's, and more than 11 million family members and friends serve as their caregivers. 
While researchers are working tirelessly to end Alzheimer's and all other dementia, the number of people living with Alzheimer's is expected to more than double by 2050. The toll of the disease is monumental, and its devastation affects family, friends, and especially caregivers. No one should face Alzheimer's and dementia by themselves. If you or someone you know is struggling to provide care to a loved one, please share this message. You are not alone. Free help and resources are available 24-7. To talk with an expert and obtain disease-related information, care and support services, call 800-272-3900 or visit the Alzheimer's Association website at alz.org. You are not alone. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor. Restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks. AOA marches on. We are talking about everything happening in agriculture. And one of the things that ag, the ag industry, I should say, is keeping an eye on is the weather down in South America. Over the past two weeks, forecasts have gotten hot, forecasts have gotten dry, and the soybean market has responded with a rally. Well, we've got the USDA reports coming out today at 11. A lot of the trade is focusing on that. But this weather action down in South America is going to continue to matter for some time. And I figured we turn to our good friend Ed Valley of Empire Weather, who keeps a close eye on everything happening down in South America. Ed, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, how are you, Mike? I am good, sir. Let's talk about what's happening down in Argentina. We've got heat in the forecast today down there. Is that right? My goodness. Yeah, it, it's been hot over the last few days, and, and it's continuing here today. Temperatures are already soaring short of the noon hour coming up on 90 degrees already so it is it's a hot one and it's been hot and it's going to continue here for the next few days so ed update us if you would real quick on the progression of this drought down in brazil and argentina what brazilian states do you see it having the largest impact on so far yeah so 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 far it's largely just been rio grande basalt so the farthest south in Brazil that you can go before hitting Uruguay and the uh, Paraná River. As you get towards that area, it's Rio Grande do Sul, down into parts of uh, Argentina. That's really where the heart of the dryness has been. Now, as you, you head northward in Brazil, moisture has actually been quite good across Mato Grosso, Goiás, Mato Grosso do Sul. And as you get into Paraná, that area has been a little hit or miss. We've largely seen adequate rainfall, but especially with some of these dry times coming over the next week or so, they could use a drink here as we head towards the third week of January. So definitely been on the dry side the further south. And when we think about these places, Goiás, Mato Grosso del Sol, Rio Grande del Sol, Paraná, how much bean production takes place? Is this the core soybean growing area of Brazil? So the further north you go, obviously Mato Grosso in central Brazil is the core uh, of the production, but there is quite a bit of production that does extend southward into, um, like you said, Paraná and down into Rio Grande do Sul. So it's all important, but the core of that soybean production uh, is obviously up in Mato Grosso in central. 
Ah, uh, gotcha. I understand. Now, Ed, let's talk about what you're seeing. You mentioned the heat happening down in Argentina, but they're facing some dryness as well throughout uh, Argentina and their grain growing region. 100%. And, and, you know, as we started the season, as we entered it, say back in October, the thought generally was the further south you go in South America, it's going to be drier. That's what La Nina typically produces. Now, we actually had pretty good moisture very early in the season in November across Argentina. And to be quite honest, that's a little too early for it to really matter and be beneficial, right? It's like getting rain in May or early June. It helps, but it's not the prime reproductive stages of that corn crop. So early in the season, we had some moisture, but it's been dry over the last six weeks or so. And now that we're starting to get this heat coming on in conjunction with the dryness, that's obviously why we're seeing people start to really focus on this part of the world. Well, let's look out, Ed, as you take a look at the 10, the 14-day forecast models for southern Brazil and Argentina. Are you seeing any changes in place that might uh, spook the markets? I am, actually. Uh, it's, it's really, really fascinating what's coming up here. So we have a, a battle royale, so to speak, with respect to weather uh, as, as these traders and, and folks start to look at the market and, and look at the weather moving forward. Because right now, we have a very hot, a very dry pattern in place, and that's going to continue through the weekend. So now through, say, Sunday morning, very hot, really no rainfall, no relief in sight. However, as we head into Sunday night, and especially into next week, we're seeing a lot of opportunity for moisture start to show up here in, in central and northern Argentina, right into Rio Grande de Sol, Brazil, which, as you can imagine, would be a, a really big deal, and it would be a welcome relief to what we're seeing right now. So it's, it's kind of a, an interesting um, dipole, if you will, between the hot and dry now, but the change that looks to come next week. And looking right out through day 15 now, which takes us out through about the 26th or 27th of January, we're starting to see that, that moisture linger through that period. So it looks like a, a pretty favorable you know, 10-day stretch or so coming up here of moisture in areas that have been quite dry and quite hot here of late. Okay, things to keep an eye on. I'm sure the trade will be watching it to see whether or not those rains actually materialize. Ed, I want to throw something to you. I picked this up off your Twitter feed, and I think it highlights the importance of a meteorological training when we're assessing weather. Folks like me, I just watch the, the forecast models, the pictures with the red and the green coming across the screen <laughs> to see what's out there. But you had a post recently, you were talking about the heat coming in Argentina, and you mentioned that one weather forecasting model was showing temps significantly too high. Can you tell us a little bit how, in your experience as a meteorologist, how you know that that model is predicting temps too high and what we can do about it as folks who just watch the weather? Yeah, that's a really good question and one that I've fielded quite a bit this week and so what's happening down there the gfs model which is the model that we see come in around lunchtime and and really start to kind of dictate dictate things during the uh, growing season up in north america during the summer right that model has been consistently showing temperatures of 120 to 125 degrees locally in parts of argentina which would be record heat that does not happen over a wide area really ever across Argentina. So what happens here is when you're in a drier pattern, these, these weather models do incorporate soil moisture into their processes as they're spitting out information in the maps that we look at. So as we see the dry pattern and the dry soil begin to show up, what the model does is it impacts the ambient air around that dry soil. So it takes a forecast that regularly maybe would be 100 or 105, and it assumes, based on a variety of complex meteorological factors, that, no, no, we're going to actually be 120 instead of 105, which is a big deal when we're using that information to diagnose crop stress and, and other impacts on agriculture. So in my experience, you know, we've had a lot of better success looking at the European model and some of our other pieces of data in conjunction with the GFS. So it's not to say that the GFS is a terrible weather model by any means, but it's just to say that when you're seeing these images come across and seeing a lot of people talk about this type of stuff, make sure you're aware that there's other data out there and a well-rounded approach is likely going to yield you 
the best solution when looking forward in time in Argentina. Absolutely. It's it's a good reminder that meteorologists, the folks who are in this all day, every day, might have some additional interpretations on the models than just the model's raw data itself. So thank you, Ed. I'm glad you cleared that up for me. I want to take our focus up here to North America. Throughout the week, looks to be fairly quiet. Ed, any surprises our listeners need to be aware of here as we start looking ahead to the weekend? Yeah, so there is a system that's going to be diving out of the Canadian prairies here into the eastern Dakotas Thursday night and into Friday. And it looks like it's going to dive right through the eastern Dakotas into Minnesota, parts of Iowa, maybe eastern Nebraska and far western Illinois. So that entire region here, later Thursday, uh, Thursday night, excuse me, and then in, especially into Friday across the Midwest and parts of Illinois, I think we could see some accumulating snow. So that, that's kind of the next item on the agenda, if you will. And right now it looks like a four to eight inch snowfall for a lot of the eastern Dakotas down into Minnesota and maybe parts of Iowa and western Illinois as well. So that's the next thing on the agenda. Ugh, four to eight inches. Ed, does that transition into rainfall as we get farther east? So it looks like this thing is just going to kind of dive right through the eastern plains and Midwest and, and down into parts of Illinois and the Tennessee River Valley. So as you get down into that part of the world, I do think it starts to change over to a wintry mix or even some rain. But I think for a large majority of, uh, of the Midwest and Eastern Plains, this is just going to be snow. You know, we, we're going to be just cold enough and it looks like just the white stuff here uh, into the weekend. Well, that is good news. And you mentioned just cold enough for snow. So are we coming out of the deep freeze for good, at least for a little while? Well, enjoy it while you can. I'll put it that way. I think this week was a nice interlude in, in what appears to be a pretty cold period, uh, both obviously earlier this month, but also I think the back third of January could be quite cold. I think we're going to be dealing with another intrusion of Arctic air, and it looks like it's mostly going to be favored across the eastern belt. So say the Great Lakes and parts of uh, the I-35 corridor eastward. So I think the further west you go, you might escape some of the worst of it. But as we know, this time of the year, even normal, is pretty darn cold. Yes, indeed, it is wintertime, and that's going to continue. Ed Valley of Empire Weather, thanks for talking to us today. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. Arlen Suderman of Stone X will join me here in the next segment on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control. It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small-seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with Extend Flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, today is a big day for the ag commodities. USDA's largest data dump of the year impacting crop and livestock production occurs today. That dramatically increases the risk of surprises in the data. Sometimes those surprises offset one another, while other times they have an additive effect on price movement in one direction or the other, changing the tone of the markets for the next couple of months. For the most part, recent January reports have been calmer, with the trade generally expecting the same this year, although that's what makes for surprises. The three big keys that we'll be watching will be the scope of South American production changes in this report to set the tone for future reports, potential quarter soybean demand changes on the U.S. balance sheet, and potential surprises in the quarterly grain stocks numbers. All three of these are related, although USDA may not initially make that apparent. Now, this morning we did get a notice that USDA said 3.9 million bushels of U.S. corn were sold to unknown destinations 
for this marketing year. And 4.85 million bushels of soybeans were sold to China for the 22-23 marketing year, likely related to expectations for a smaller crop in Brazil. Current numbers, March corn down one to three quarters, 599 at a quarter. May corn down one to three quarters, six to three quarters. January beans three and a half lower, 1373 at a quarter. March beans down three and a quarter, 1383 at a quarter. January bean meal down 90 cents a ton, 426.40. January bean oil up 25 points, 59.14. March Chicago wheat three lower, 767 at a quarter. March Kansas City wheat down four and a quarter, 787 and a half. March spring wheat down three and a half, 924 and three quarters. February lean hogs 112 higher, 78.97. January feeder cattle down 52, 161.55. February live cattle down 85, 136.82. Crude oil up 92 cents a barrel, 82.14. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad? Your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back to AOA. It is report day from the USDA. 11 o'clock Central Time, they'll be releasing their World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates and their quarterly grain stocks report. That will be moving the market, but things are quiet on LaSalle Street here ahead of that release. Joining us today to talk about all the things impacting the markets, it's Mr. Arlen Suderman of Stonex. Arlen, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Hey, great to be here with you, Mike. You know, reports coming out here uh, just a little over an hour. Arlen, anything growers need to have in mind with the time we've got left before that report comes out? Expect anything and everything. Uh, I read yesterday from one of our well-seasoned traders who had been with us and said anyone carrying a position into this report because they think they have the edge must be nuts. Uh, because uh, e- either you're you're right and there's a big surprise coming in the way you think and you get a and you get the big bonus from that, but it ends up being a small pay raise if you're a trader, uh, or you're really wrong and uh, you get chastised before you get fired. Uh, The stakes just aren't worth it. This is the largest data dump of the year related to agriculture from USDA. And because of the sheer volume of data that is released on this date each year, there's bound to be surprises. Sometimes those surprises offset each other, which has been the case in recent years, and the market response is rather tame, but sometimes they end up on the same side and become major market changers with uh, daily limit changes in either up or down, and then the trend continuing in that direction in the weeks that follow, kind of setting the tone as we head toward the spring. So you never know what to expect. The trade's expectation in this report is that it'll be another quiet one, uh, but then that's what makes surprises is when they're not expected. So got to expect anything and everything, and a lot of times those surprises from USDA defy logic in the direction that they are in. 
That's the truth. Some of these surprises can come out almost completely of left field. Arlen, I want to put the report on the back burner for a second and look out a little more long term. We've had the Biden administration talking a lot about biofuels. We've been talking about biofuels on the show a lot here over the past two weeks as E15 has been before the Supreme Court and EPA's released their RVOs. Reuters released a report this morning. They said the Biden administration is looking to roll back that 15 billion gallon conventional ethanol requirement in 2022. Apparently that's being discussed. As you look at this ethanol market, Arlen, do you think we need to have the uh, the, the numbers from the EPA or do you think there's enough commercial demand for ethanol out there at these price levels to maybe make federal policy a backseat issue? Oh, that's a legitimate question, but I, I saw that story and I thought, oh, no, here we go again. Um, uh, it, it gets frustrating, and, and what the industry needs is some type of uh, what to expect. I mean, that's why they pass a law, so we know what to expect. But then when the goalposts keep getting changed, it makes it difficult for the industry to make business plans and to build toward those business plans when they don't know what to expect, what, how the shifting winds of politics may change where the goalposts sit at. From a, a, a longer-term standpoint, there's reality in what you need how you need to approach it as a business. Reality is this is where we're going to be. Politics is going to continue to be a driver here. Um, so what we need to be doing from an, from an industry standpoint is planning on what, what do I want to call the, the foundational route to demand and trying to expand that demand as much as we can so that we don't need to depend on politics. Some would argue we're already there. Others would argue, no, we're not there. Um, so it depends on which side of that argument you're on. But I think for the reality is, is we need to plan as if uh, we're going to have these shifting winds. We simply need to d- build that demand base, do what we can to try to win consumer over, to increase the blends, and then remove the regulations as much as possible that get in the way of expanding that demand base. And you look at what's happening in Brazil, where they use 27.5% ethanol blend in the cars, uh, and we're arguing about 10 to 15% here in the United States. Um, it, it, there's certainly opportunity for us to do more. And then if you have the opportunity to use ethanol now as a feedstock for the new sustainable aviation fuels, that's probably one of the big bright spots for the ethanol industry going forward as we move more toward EV cars or electric vehicles and uh, the high efficiency vehicles that's resulting in decreased gasoline consumption here in the States. That certainly makes some sense. We need the politics to help make sure the road is clear, and then we let the market push the vehicle down the road once we get up to speed. Arlen, as we're thinking about this soybean crop that's coming out of the ground down in Brazil, obviously there is a lot of uncertainty with how the USDA is going to size that crop in their world uh, world estimates here later today. But I've heard that China is making some grain purchases, bean purchases here in the U.S., again, potentially concerned that Brazil might not have the crop. Does that raise the risk of Chinese bean cancellations later in the year more than it would have been uh, in a given year, do you think? Oh, and you look at the purchases that they're making for a new crop for next year's harvest, um, that's not unusual for this time of year because they try to pick some times when our market may be somewhat suppressed and make some of those purchases ahead of time, considering they may need 30 to 35 million metric tons going in, buying a million metric tons here and there is just kind of sound risk management from them. What it does say is that they do see some potential for higher prices down the road, so why not price some now um, just in case those prices do go higher in Brazil and Argentina do have a short crop. So it's kind of spreading out the risk is what they're doing, and it's something fairly typical uh, of what they do. And uh, it, does it open the door for cancellations? They are, they're certainly famous for doing that. Um, they have their ways of doing that. They make it tough to do business. Um, but uh, that's the way, if you want to dance with China, that's the way you have to dance. Yeah, yeah. When they're writing the checks, they they get to write the rules as well sometimes. Arlen, thinking about the soybean market, we just heard from Ed Valley, talked about a potential pattern shift in South American weather. If those rains start to fall across southern Brazil and Argentina, how much downside risk do you think exists in the soybean market as we talk about it today? 
Well, first of all, when you look at the soybean market today, it's pricing in a considerable amount of adversity, or you could say it's pricing in a considerable amount of inflation. It's probably a combination of those two right now. If you would take these same fundamentals in a more, why don't we say, normal market environment where inflation wasn't such a big topic of conversation, we'd be probably be managing the same supply and demand fundamentals a couple dollars cheaper than what we are today. So that's the downside risk, but that's a combination of fundamentals and the inflation play that the funds are doing right now. So there is downside risk. The question, I think, comes down to what is the final production number out of Brazil, Argentina, and Paraguay, because all three of those are involved in that South American supply situation, and how does that balance out against the soft demand that we're seeing in China? We ought to be crushing about 2.1 million metric tons per week in China to sustain the strong demand curve we've become used to, but we only crushed about 1.6 million metric tons last week because of how soft the demand is, soft feeding margins for hogs, etc. So that's a concern is how one's going to balance out the other. What I fear near term is, is we'll see um, a cut in exports um, before we see the full cut in production. Uh, that cut in production may bring some of that demand back after Brazil runs out of soybeans maybe next late July or August. But in the meantime, it could leave us vulnerable to a sell-off here in the States if, in fact, we do see ending stocks move closer to 400 million bushels in the near term. Interesting. You mentioned there the the slow crushing pace in China. You know, at the start of 2021, China was all announced. Their hog herd is coming back. They're going to need to crush all these beans. If we're half a million uh, tons light on the crushing in China week to week, Arlen, does that tell you their hog herd just isn't where the Chinese government says it's supposed to be? Well, I don't think we're going to sustain at 1.6. I think that I think that was more of an aberration. We're probably moving more toward 1.8. That's still softer than where we should be. They've really they were overfeeding protein, and so many of the large commercial farms have gone to try to increase their efficiency and reduce it. Uh, but the big problem is when they had two years of of record high pork prices in China that were three to four times what consumers used to paying. They really saw a shift in consumer preference away from pork to the other proteins, and they're struggling to get that back. And that's the big problem right now, which is keeping feeding margins very close to break even, keeping a lot of the smaller operations out of up from restocking, and you just have the big commercialized farms. Um, So that is a longer-term problem. I think probably going to stay on this path for much of 2022. Arlen, you mentioned inflation putting upward pressure on prices, 7% CPI print this morning. Does that push managed money to work more dollars into the ag commodities or the commodity sector more broadly? Oh, I think it does. We're negative this morning after that report. And I think that's largely because the USDA report coming out this afternoon. That has, that has the trade really nervous. So I want to see what happens with that money after we get the USDA reports behind us. Uh, I think that'll tell us a lot more. But generally, yes, you're looking at inflation rates well above where Treasury yields are at. And that means that the money's likely going to stay in the equity markets and the commodity markets for some time. And the commodities are generally seen, especially the food-based commodities now when energies are being hurt by Omicron, as a hedge against that inflation risk in their portfolio. That will be something to keep an eye on once we get through these reports. Arlen Suderman of StoneX, thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you, Mike. And folks, stick around when AOA returns. Jackie Holland of Farm Futures will give us an update on the fertilizer market. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block, 
maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. When you choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system, you're choosing exceptional weed control. It controls more weeds than any other soybean system and offers up to 14 days of soil activity on certain small-seeded broadleaf weeds. Plus, you get triple tolerance to dicamba, glyphosate, and glufosinate when used with Extend Flex soybeans. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system, the system of choice. Claims are based on approved EPA herbicide labels as of January 2021. Pair with a strong weed management program. Always follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and all other stewardship practices. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crop, cattle, equipment, technology, and more. They are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So... When was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. 
This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Thanks for tuning in to AOA, folks. I tell you what, we have been talking about a lot of things happening in agriculture today. We've been talking about a lot of places that prices have increased. Well, we're going to keep the trend the same here on segment four. Fertilizer prices certainly have been climbing over the past year. Jackie Holland, uh, for the grain market analyst at Farm Futures Magazine, is joining us. And Jackie, are we starting to maybe see a peak here in this fertilizer market? I'm really excited to report that over the last week or so, we have seen prices in the urea market start to ease a little bit. Uh, wholesale prices down at the Gulf of New Orleans dropped down to about $744 a ton uh, yesterday, and that was down from $842 um, to close out 2021. So. Yes, we are seeing some really positive signs in the urea market. And in the case of urea, Jackie, is it supply chain disruptions easing that is lowering the price? What happened here two weeks ago to, to cause the price to drop so much? That's a great question, Mike. There's a few things uh, at play, and they are definitely on the supply side. We saw higher urea imports down at the Gulf in November. Um, we, as you know, cold weather settles in, there's definitely some easing seasonal demand for nitrogen fertilizers across the country too. But on the global front, uh, India, who's the world's largest buyer of urea, actually has purchased less urea in an international tender that they just issued than the market was expecting. So yes, that has done one of two things. First, it has increased global supplies, but two, um, it's also put a lot of pressure on some of these fertilizer producers uh, because these producers and these wholesale suppliers are now kind of showing their cards that they can actually afford to accept much lower bids for some of these nitrogen, uh, nitrogen products. So that's really kind of helping to take out some of that that effect of these higher prices for farmers. That is good news. It's nice to see a break coming in this market, given the fact that it's both supply and demand factors that are starting to shift, at least in urea. Jackie, do you think we're going to see this price continue to moderate as we get closer to planting season? Is the is the high behind us now? Um, I think kind of given how volatile these global economic markets are and with all the supply chain issues i am a little bit hesitant to say that we're completely in the woods um, natural gas prices are back on the incline and that doesn't really bode well for anhydrous fertilizers and uh, uan so i don't think we're quite in the woods yet but I was really, I was really sure, assured to see that, you know, maybe some of this profit taking that fertilizer companies have been able to do, um, that's kind of been held in check the last couple of weeks. So hopefully, you know, at least we can see a bit of a market moderation here. Yeah, some pressure returning to the market on the buyer's side, which is a nice change after the last six months. Jackie, I heard a rumor and I wanted to get your opinion. Uh, back in 2008, the last time China hosted the Olympics, apparently they shut down their coal gasification, their nitrogen manufacturing plants in order to improve air quality. And I was talking to a friend who thinks that those plants might come back online once the Winter Olympics are done in Beijing. Does that hold water to you? Do you see China coming back onto the market? Market, uh, the international market, I should say, post-Olympics? I think it's only part of the story, Mike. Um, China's supply, supply planners uh, didn't quite anticipate that the Chinese economy would recover so robustly last year from the pandemic. So that drove up energy demand, and they did not have the coal supplies on hand to keep that fertilizer production going. 
So there were some stoppages from that dynamic too. Um, but, you know, it's a new year. We are seeing um, increases to global energy production in, in the pipeline. So, you know, it helps that the Olympics are definitely at the beginning of the year, but I, I think that there are certainly some more moderated um, supply dynamics down the road for Chinese fertilizer production. Yeah, that makes sense. They needed to use their coal to make electricity rather than convert it into nitrogen. That that certainly holds water given the year that China's had. Jackie, as you think about the other fertilizer markets that growers uh, are going to have to be dealing with here as we advance to growing season, are there any others that have you hopeful for uh, continued weaker prices into spring? Um, the nitrogen one is where the urea markets right now are, are really where I hold the most hope. Uh, we're seeing some geopolitical disruptions in Belarus. Uh, Belarus is one of the top global producers of potash. So I, I think that nitrogen definitely has some more optimism in it now than it did at the end of the year. And, you know, because that is one of the biggest inputs for farmers for yield, um, I think that that is the one that I will be closely watching for the next few weeks. All right. And, you know, one of the other factors that's been increasing costs for growers, at least according to the National Corn Growers Association, are tariffs. And Jackie, I don't think we've got any tariff changes on the horizon either, does it sound like? I haven't heard of anything lately, but it is definitely something that you know, I think that markets are going to be very quick to respond to if there is further developments about it. Um, the latest that I've heard are just the economic sanctions that the U.S. Treasury has le leveraged against Belarus. Um, so hopefully New Year, new diplomatic policies kind of help ease those fears. New Year, new diplomatic policies, uh, a resolution hopefully folks in government will listen to. Jackie Holland of Farm Futures Magazine, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll dig into the USDA's reports from today. Thanks for listening to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to, or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. As a truck driver, I've learned how important road safety is. I know that large trucks need more time and room to stop. That's why I always hang back and follow other vehicles at a safe distance. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, try to remember to always give trucks extra space when you merge in front of them. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.